Today we're wrapping up our series, Chats with the President in 2021. And the subtitle is Stories and Lessons for Anyone with Any Influence. Now we're looking at the stories in the scriptures of advisors going to political leaders to give them advice or to chat with them. And we did this series for two reasons. Reason number one is these are important principles to consider as we vote. And since voting is coming much earlier than November this year, we want to do this series now. Reason number two is that these principles apply to anyone with any influence, not just the president. That throughout the scriptures, but particularly the Old Testament, are full of stories about leadership and advice given to national leaders, governors, pharaohs, emperors, and kings. That within these stories, there's principles and lessons for anyone with any level of influence. Whether you're leading a home, a business, a team, a classroom, or maybe even a nation. And as you're painfully aware, and I probably don't need to remind you of, this season's been challenging for everyone. And sort of, we're all picking up the pieces of our lives and moving forward the best that we can. But many of us are not simply navigating ourselves through this difficult time, but we're responsible for helping other people move forward as well. So we're taking these principles and lessons um, from these stories that we think that if anyone with any level of influence and leadership would take seriously, they would become a better leader, including our national leader in 2021. And these principles and things are really sort of important for any time and any leadership, um, but they're especially important during times of disruption and uncertainty like we're experiencing. So in week one, we looked at the story of a Babylonian emperor that um, was kind of interesting. You should kind of go back and watch that, I think. But the point was, everyone is accountable for the management of their temporary influence. And that's really what leadership is. It's just temporary influence that we're managing as sort of on loan to us. And it can be taken away at any point, And we're accountable for it. Week number two, we said that everyone wants to follow leaders with moral authority, not just positional authority. And then last week, we looked at the story of a dream interpreter and advisor to the Pharaoh in Egypt. And the point was that leaders refuse to trade what we need in the future for what we want now. If you want to watch any of these messages, you can head to our YouTube channel. Today's chat, though, is going to be something that maybe is a little bit uncomfortable for many of us to talk about. It might be even something that we don't want to talk about. And it's involving being vulnerable, transparent, and real. It's sort of exercising our empathy muscle. That the people looking to the president in 2021, and maybe looking to you and to me, need to experience our humanity. Here's why. When I'm convinced that you care about me, I'll be far more open to your influence. Especially in times when you're asking me to follow you into the unknown. That if I understand that you are legitimizing and, and validating my fears, my concerns, my worries, I will trust you. But if you ignore them, criticize them, sweep them under the rug, or brush them aside, I will resist you. And I'll resist you because you have convinced me that you don't care about me and you don't understand me. Now, you may understand me and you may care about me, and you may even be as uncertain and worried about the future as I am. But I won't follow you unless you convince me you care about me. Now, I think that's true about me, but it's probably true about many of us, if not all of us, here today. That we need to be human to have empathy, particularly in the context of leadership, to build trust and so that the people that depend on us will trust us enough to actually follow us. And the term for this is something that many of you might be a little bit uncertain about or a little nervous about. And some of you might just say, well, that's obvious because you're going to say that because that's you. And the term really is pastor. Now, for most people, that term associates a lot of spiritual connotations along with it. But it didn't originally. It's actually the Latin term for shepherding. 
And uh, in the translations of the scriptures, the, the translators would sort of substitute pastor for shepherd. But that's a conversation for another day. What's important for our topic today about these principles for the president and for anyone with any level of influence and leadership, but particularly during times of uncertainty, is that our communities, our families, our neighbors, our employees need to be pastored and shepherded. It's not because they're actually sheep, right? That doesn't make any sense. They're not actually sheep. But it's because they're looking to you and to me for protection, for security, and for reassurance. The same things sheep look to a shepherd for. Now, many of you might say, well, that's obvious that you would say that because you're a pastor professionally and that's easy for you to do. But the reality is actually for me, this is something I'm still developing and is not something that comes naturally to me. Others of you might say, well, that's like kind of too touchy-feely for me. And, and believe me, I completely get that. And while this might not be how you're naturally wired, that doesn't mean that this isn't something that you are responsible for as a leader, as an influencer, in whatever area of leadership and influence you might have. At home, at work, at school, or in your community. And what we're going to talk about might not come naturally to you or for the person even that we elect as president in 2021. However, in times of uncertainty and disruption, we have to disrupt our normal patterns and personalities and temperaments to be able to step into the role of pastor and shepherd because that is something that people need. It might not be what they need most, but it is likely what they need first. And if you will do this, even if you do it poorly or sort of awkwardly, the people that you're responsible for will be so grateful. They'll appreciate the fact that you stepped out of your comfort zone for their sake, that you put them first. And according to Jesus, this is something that great leaders and Jesus followers do because he did it for us. Unlike previous stories in this series, we're looking at Jesus as the example. Now, obviously, Jesus is the ultimate Sunday school example of everything, and so we could have used him for any of the other stories as well. But he's a particularly good example of this principle of being a shepherd. After a really stressful season of ministry, Jesus and his disciples decide they're going to leave town to take a break. And Peter, through Mark, tells us what happens next. We're going to be looking at two different instances of Jesus' life real quickly today. If you want to jump in the Bible app, you can find our notes in the events section there. You can also jump in the notes section of the chat and find the notes there as well. We'll also have them on the screen as well. But we're going to be in Mark chapter 6 to start off with, beginning in verse 32. So they left by boat for a quiet place. Again, they're sort of wanting to get away for a break, and so they want to get away so they could be alone. Verse 33, but many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. And then something interesting happens. Verse 34. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And so what is he going to do next? We all are sort of wondering. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. He got back on the boat and went to an even more solitary place. Well, that's not actually what happened. Here's what actually happened. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, that even though he was worn out and tired, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, without a leader, that he leaned in and he moved in their direction, that many of us would have given Jesus a pass to say, it's okay to sort of lean back and sort of, you know, move in the opposite direction. And if you know the rest of the story, you know what happens, that basically Jesus spends so much time with them that basically they all miss dinner. And so Jesus does what any good shepherd would do. He feeds them, all 5,000 plus of them. And later on, John would record Jesus sort of giving his description or his, uh, his talk about being in this role of being a shepherd. 
And I hope that this can be encouraging and inspiring for you, especially those of you who are responsible for another member of the family, another member of the community, another member of, of your company, that this is the posture that we can take if we're stepping into the role of being a shepherd. We're going to be in John chapter 10 for the rest of our time, beginning in verse 3. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. That during times of uncertainty and, and disruption, your voice is important. In Jesus' day, flocks of sheep from different shepherds would stay together for the night. Then the next morning, the she each shepherd would call for their sheep, and the flocks would each separate simply based on recognizing and responding to the voice of their shepherd. Now, one of the most powerful ways I've seen this illustrated in my own life was when my wife had one of our children. The baby was born and was pretty healthy, and so was taken over to the table to be cleaned up by the nurses and examined. And then on the other side of the room, my wife was still being checked out by the doctors and going through that. And so I'm sort of standing in the middle of these two things happening. Eventually, the baby sort of gets a little bit restless and starts crying. And so the nurse calls out to my wife on the other side of the room and says, would you, would you talk to your baby? And at that point, literally, it was just baby because we didn't have a name even for the baby yet. And so my wife calls out and says, baby, I'm here. It's okay. You're going to be fine. And as soon as she did that, as soon as she talked, the baby quieted down because the baby recognized the mother's voice. That your voice is an expression of your humanity. Your voice is an expression that you are a leader to follow and people need to hear your voice. That email and text and Slack and all those different things are great during normal times, but in times of uncertainty and disruption, we need to many times hear the voice of our leader. And when you're tempted to text, you should call. Nobody's probably going to pick up because nobody answers their phone anyhow, and so you can leave a voicemail, and if they listen to that, which nobody really does, then they can hear your voice. But that is just one way that you can communicate your humanity, that your voice is one way to communicate that. It's one way to communicate that you care. And Jesus is going to sort of highlight another way that we can demonstrate that, um, but he's going to kind of contrast a good shepherd and the thief next. Verse 10, the thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That good leaders, good shepherds, want good things for their sheep or their followers. But bad shepherds or thieves want good things from their sheep or their followers. And so Jesus is going to continue to say this, verse 11, I am the good shepherd, which sort of means that if we're Jesus followers, if Jesus is willing to step into the role of being a shepherd, then as his followers, we really don't have a choice but to follow him. But what Jesus says next is the reason why most of us don't do this. Continuing on verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. To which we start finding reasons why this doesn't apply to us, right? And fortunately, this isn't literal for most of us. This won't actually happen. Um, but there's something here for everyone to apply to their lives. That basically the good shepherd puts other people or puts the sheep first. The, the good shepherd actually like goes out of their comfort zone to go comfort the sheep, to help the sheep feel comforted. So basically, don't just be a father or mother. Be a mom. Be a dad. Don't just be a supervisor, a boss, a manager. Be human. Or in Jesus' words, as we're going to see in a second, don't be like the hired hand. Someone who's just there because they have to be or because they're paid to be or because they're supposed to be. They don't really care about the sheep. They aren't there for the sheep. Because according to Jesus, verse 12, a hired hand will run 
when he sees a wolf coming, he will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him, and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. Why? Jesus says the hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. That really, he isn't in, he isn't in there for the sheep. He's not there for the sake of the sheep, so he's not going to stick around when things get uncomfortable, right? He doesn't necessarily want to be there when times of trouble come, right? That wouldn't make any sense because that's not why he's there for. And just a quick side note, Jesus is the good shepherd, not the hired hand, because he has something invested in this. He's not just some renter or tenant or just some worker who doesn't have anything invested in your life. Jesus has shown that he's got something invested in your life because they are his sheep. He is theirs, that he actually has shown his investment in the sheep's life by sacrificing for them and for us. And hired hands don't do that because they don't really care about the sheep. And during times of uncertainty and disruption, your voice matters. That when the wolves are howling and things are happening, your willingness to stick around, your willingness to keep showing up is more important than ever. That your presence is important. Your presence is probably more important than your solutions, your presentation, your preparation. But this is a little bit difficult, especially in this season where we can't physically be together. But we can be present in other ways, right? And for some of us beyond this unique season, we're just sort of progress-oriented people, and so it doesn't make any sense. Like, why do we gather everybody up? I don't have any answers or solutions to give. And that's because there's something more important than those solutions, namely your presence. And the next illustration might be challenging for some of you, but have you ever sat in a waiting room, like waiting for information from like a doctor or a surgeon? Like if you've been in that situation, you know, like, can they show up or check in too often or too frequently? Probably not. And every time they do, when they show up, what do we do? We sort of lean in because we want their reassurance and we want to be comforted by their presence. And most of us, we wouldn't want a text or a phone call. We want a person. And as leaders, as parents, as spouses, as any sort of person with influence, here's the question that we have to answer every time that we look at the people that we're responsible for. And if you're somebody that's responsible for anybody else or has any influence over anybody else, this is a good question for you to ask as well. Do people know I care? Who needs to hear your voice? Or who, needs to, who do you need to be present with? Do the people in your uh, sphere of influence or that you're responsible for know that you care, like you know you care, but do they know that you care? To wrap up our time, I want to tell you two stories, one from a first lady and the second from a president. So for the next few moments, I want you to set aside your political filters so you can see the importance of taking on the role of being a pastor and shepherd in times of uncertainty, disruption, and in these instances, unfortunate tragedy. Because you can learn from anyone and everyone, including those not from your party, right? Here we go. If you weren't alive in the 1980s, many people became more and more aware of the HIV AIDS crisis. And its diagnosis was stigmatized for the victims and separated them from friends, family, and the community. And on top of that, hundreds of children, including babies, were abandoned to hospitals out of fear of transmission. Out of fear and discrimination and just lack of knowledge, HIV positive children and adults were considered untouchables. Debbie Tate and Joan McCarley started Grandma's House, a residential care home for children with HIV AIDS. The house was where the famous picture of Barbara Bush was taken holding a baby with HIV. They, were, they wrote an article about Mrs. Bush after she passed away several years ago. 
People often ask whether the famous picture of Barbara Bush cuddling one of the babies at our care home for children with HIV AIDS was staged by White House photographers or handlers. It was not. It was a caring grandmother's genuine instinct to comfort and soothe a sick baby. In 1989, as Bush toured our facility, known as Grandma's House, we entered the room of little Donovan, who in rapidly failing health and frailty began to whimper in his crib. As we lifted Donovan, Bush turned to, and gave us that trademark look of confidence and said, Debbie and Joan, you're providing great care and services, but give me that baby. You don't know what you're doing. She was masterful, placing the baby over her shoulder and closely caressing him. He immediately calmed. She then proceeded into the playroom and insisted on sitting on the floor with the children. It was there on that floor that she signaled to the world that regardless of health status, including HIV AIDS, everyone deserves love and care. And it wasn't just children. The White House had approved of our request to invite a group of men living with HIV AIDS to meet the First Lady. After seeing the love Bush exuded holding a baby, one of the men asked, Mrs. Bush, I am a man living with HIV. Will you give me a hug? Sure enough, she reached out and hugged him without hesitation. Now the second story is, if you've ever gone to visit someone that's lost a, a child, you know that it's one of the most challenging environments to walk into. That there's just no words, there's no solution. Now imagine doing that 20 times for 20 different families, all in the same afternoon. This is a situation that President Obama found himself walking into by choice following the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting in Newtown, Connecticut in 2012. 26 people, including 20 children, were shot and killed in the school. The oldest child was seven years old. Michelle Obama in her memoirs said, it was the darkest day in the White House. When I walked into the Oval Office, Barack and I embraced silently. There was nothing to say, no words. Joshua Dubois, who was the spiritual advisor to the president, describes in his book, The President's Devotional, the time the president came, explained to him that he wanted to visit each of the families of the victims, and he wanted Joshua to go with him. Joshua describes what happened when they arrived. We prepared seven or eight classrooms for the families of the slain children and teachers, two or three families to a classroom. The president took a deep breath and steeled himself and went into the first classroom. And what happened next, I'll never forget. Person after person received an engulfing hug from our commander in chief. He'd say, tell me about your son, tell me about your daughter and then hold pictures of the lost beloved as their parents described favorite foods, television shows, and the sound of their laughter. For the younger siblings of those who passed away, many of them two, three, or four years old, too young to understand, the president would grab them, toss them, laughing up into the air, and then hand them a box of White House M&Ms. In each room, I saw his eyes water, but he did not break. And then the entire scene would repeat for hours. Over and over again, through well over a hundred relatives of the fallen, each one equally broken, wrecked by the loss. Joshua says that he and the president flew home that night in silence, and, the president, and President Obama never spoke of these sacred moments in public, which is why maybe many of you have not heard about this yet until today. And here's why I share those stories. It removes our excuses. Because in that moment, President Obama took on the role of pres pastor and chief. 
because that is what the role called for. That's what the moment called for. And during that time period and that situation, Mrs. Bush showed that she cared through her humanity by her words, by her voice, and maybe more importantly, by her presence and by her touch. They could have, they, they basically each took off and set aside their role as authority because that's what the, the, the situation called for. President Obama probably could have gotten away with a handwritten note, a phone call, or at least gathering all the families together to meet at once, but he didn't do that. He waded into their incredible pain because that is what the moment called for. And the First Lady could have gotten away with, you know, an initiative or a press conference or even probably patting the baby on the back and shaking the man's hand, but she didn't. She waded into the stigma and pain of those untouchable people. Because leaders unite us with their voice and their presence. And our voice and our presence are sort of signs of our humanity. They show our humanity. And it's important to lead this way for a couple different reasons. Reason number one is that as Jesus followers, we're to follow Jesus' example. That's pretty clear. But we should also lead and shepherd as Jesus lead, led and shepherd, right? Number two is leading this way is important because showing our humanity unites people. That showing your humanity unites your school, your family, your company, your, your classroom, and maybe even your community. Because we are all human. And in this polarized political climate that we find ourselves in, we sometimes forget that the other side is human as well. But leaders unite us with their voice and their presence. So are you uniting people with your voice and your presence? Are you showing your humanity? Because now, more than ever, the world needs leaders, not just the president, but leading your home, in your community, in your school, in your company, to demonstrate their humanity with their voice and with their presence. Let me pray for us. Before I pray, I just want to also say that um, really ultimately Jesus didn't, um, didn't just say these things to teach us about leadership and influence. But really he showed us these things on top of that because he wants to be the shepherd and leader of our lives. And while it won't be easy, it will be easier to lead with our voice and our presence if Jesus is leading us. And so the question is, are you allowing him to lead you today? Do you want to start following him? I'm going to lead a short prayer for those of you that haven't done that yet or we need to do that again. And then I'll continue that in a few moments. I would encourage you, if you're praying along, to pray in your heart or to pray out loud wherever you are. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he is the ultimate example of using his voice, his presence, and ultimately his life to demonstrate that he is a leader worth following and that he really cares about us. So Jesus, would you please help us to look to you as our leader? Look to you as our leader for reassurance, protection, security, that you hold the keys to eternity, no matter what happens on this earth. Would you please help us to follow you? And Lord, for the rest of us, would you help us to also do that as well? For those of us who aren't so sure, and maybe those of us who've been following you for a long time, all of us, would you help us to see and hear your voice? Would you help us to see your presence in our lives so that we could see how to follow you? Would you help give us some clarity where we might need some clarity? 
But in those moments of faith, God, would you help us to take that step of faith, knowing that you are a good shepherd and you're leading us in a good direction. Heavenly Father, would you please help us to follow Jesus? It's in his name we pray. Amen.